Hey, everybody. Welcome to the seven innings podcast. I'm Amanda Scarborough. And today on the show, we have Madison Shipman, Caleb bro, Jenny Dalton Hill, and Aaron Miller. We're going to look back at last weekend's regional matchups. There was a lot of craziness that happened Friday through Sunday. We'll dive deep into it all and then look forward to the super regionals that actually start on Thursday night. So one of the headliners, of course, is UCLA going 0-2 last weekend, losing to Grand Canyon and then uh, losing to Liberty. So the number two seed, national seed in the entire tournament, UCLA loses um, and goes 0-2. Um, Jenny Dalton Hill is somebody who went to Arizona, has been around UCLA and their history for a very long time. What did you think when you saw that? You know, I... I never wish ill towards the Bruins because I know what it comes down to, to win with a lot of pressure, but as an Arizona wildcat, you're always like, Oh, makes it easier for Arizona. But you know what this year, Arizona didn't even make the tournament. So it's hard to be able to cheer on somebody's bad luck, but definitely not expected the number two seed in the country going down. Oh, two and barbecue. That was definitely not expected. I thought it was interesting too, guys that it wasn't that they weren't hitting the ball. They ended up with seven hits, I think, in each of those two games. But it was just a matter of coming down with the timely hit when you got people on base. And we all know that there's the normal ebbs and flows of hitting. But it just seemed to all come down to one weekend, two games for UCLA, unfortunately, this weekend. But you got to tip your cap to the rest of those teams going in there with a ton of confidence. Grand Canyon first. Liberty, who's played a stacked schedule all season long. And then, of course, San Diego State coming out on top. I don't think a lot of people, to your point, Madison, realize that that region had the highest average RPI. So that one was a really, really challenging seed for UCLA. And you think for the two seed that they should be playing some maybe easier teams in that region. And you're right, Liberty played an extremely tough schedule. San Diego State's battle-tested. Their conference is really tough. Um But I think at the end of the day, too, a lot of people were pointing at the pitching for UCLA. It wasn't the pitching. The pitching was great. And I know people wanted to see Megan Faramo in that Saturday game. But Brooke Giannis did everything that they needed to do to win. So, I mean, you have to point to the offense. Um, Sometimes you just that happens. I mean, we've all experienced that. There's weekends where for whatever reason, things just don't click and you can't pass the bat down and you just can't get out of the hole. So, I mean, I feel for UCLA because they were expected to go to the women's college world series and they're going to be feeling this one for a really long time. Uh, But I don't think this is a a case where we're going to see this happen year over year for UCLA. I think they'll, they'll bounce back right away and they'll be top five again next season. Well, and it makes me think about last year's Florida State situation where they lost to Mississippi State. And when you talk to Lonnie Alameda last year about what happened and she said, you know, one bad day and our season was over. And I think that's what happened to UCLA. You stub your toe and can't recover. And all of a sudden, a team that's expected to be in Oklahoma City finds its way out of the tournament. I think if you know Dot Richardson, too, this is a very well-coached team. Liberty has been banging on the door for quite a few years now. Year over year, season over season, she strategically stacks their schedule, high RPI schedule early in the year. So it's just a matter of time before I think that they got a big, big W um, on their chest, and and Liberty, Liberty did it when it all mattered. How about San Diego State? Not having to play the host, like – 
Holy cow. I don't know that you could have scripted it better for San Diego State. I'm really eager to cover them this upcoming weekend in Utah. I think that Stacey Newman, obviously well-coached, very good team, but what an upset. I think that that was a uh, upset that shocked the world. Yeah, so crazy to think that UCLA, Arizona, and Florida all will not be at the Women's College World Series this year, like for sure. And then when you look at the eight teams that made it last year, already we're for sure at least going to have four new teams at the World Series this year, which like all that stuff is just wild. Like it gives me goosebumps and goes back to just the parody within our sport. But I mean, I think that we can say that UCLA as the two seed going to and out in regionals is the biggest upset in probably the history of our sport. So just to put it into perspective, and I feel so bad for Aaliyah Jordan, who um, has been there for so long, you know, came back late this year after tearing her ACL last year. This is her seventh year at UCLA. And you know that she came back to win a national championship, like period, or at least at the very, very least to make it to the world series again and get a chance to play. And so I feel for her and the seniors on that team that just probably went into the weekend, like expecting just to make it to supers. Cause that's what UCLA does. So pretty shocking. Um, okay. Let's each go. We had, you know, 16 regionals that were played out. Uh, we each were at one. So let's just go around and, and talk about our own personal regionals of what we got to see. Uh, Madison, why don't you start? Um, Clemson came out of that one and the atmosphere just seemed so great watching it through the screen. Yeah, the fans were outstanding. I think one of my favorite parts of the entire regional was waiting an hour before game time. They would open up the gates and the fans would literally sprint with their chairs. Some fans had two chairs like in their hands, sprinting out to the berm. I did go out, of course, Eric Fried and I did some research. We had to ask the fans, like, what are the spots, like the primo spots out in the outfield? And they said, you got to get the flat piece of grass. So that's what everybody's going for is the flat piece of grass. That's the bit of information that nobody knew they needed before this podcast, but there it is for you. Um, Softball-wise, some really good games on the field. Uh, It was really incredible to see how UNCG ended up getting their way to the regionals. They had two back-to-back walk-off wins in the SoCon Championship to beat Samford twice, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, Cal State Fullerton has had a heck of a season. They beat some really good teams coming into this weekend, had beat every single SEC team that they had faced. Um, And then Auburn, I thought Maddie Penta had such a gutsy performance this weekend. She was really good in the circle. I know we've been talking about her all season long, just her ability to mix speeds that has really taken her to a completely different level as a pitcher this season, but Clemson and their team that, towards the end of the season, really from that Florida State series on, struggled. They they really kind of struggled to refine their identity and struggled offensively. And man, straight out the gate, they were hitting the ball all over the place. Mackenzie Clark driving line drives out to the outfield. They UNCG ended up intentionally walking Valerie Cagle with somebody on first base to get to Caroline Jacobson, and then boom, three-run home run. And that's how Clemson started the weekend. Had to go to uh, game seven but ultimately ended up beating Auburn uh, in that final game. Uh, Again, another great performance by Maddie Penta. She ended up getting the win in game one on Sunday. Then uh, it was Clemson that came out on top. But I'm excited to see the Super Regional between uh, the Sooners and Clemson this weekend. It's going to be a good battle between them two. Kayla, you um, were uh, in Knoxville trying to remember where everybody is at again. I think all of our brains are just complete mush uh, battling through some delays and weather. Oh, and just some fights on the field or arguments, I should say, not fights. That might be too uh, too bad of a word. I'm just going to reel it back a little bit, but at the very least, some arguments on the field. 
Hey, I thought, so there was a, a weather delay, Indiana in game two against Tennessee. This is what Amanda's talking about. Uh, had the bases loaded against Ashley Rogers. And at that point it was like a five to one ball game. So you have the bases loaded Ree Copeland, who's a great home run hitter up for Indiana. Ashley Rogers is struggling to keep the ball dry. It's sprinkling. It's been sprinkling for about 15 minutes. So of course, Karen Weekly wants to pull the team from the field. Can't keep the hand dry, can't keep the ball controlled uh, in the circle for Ashley Rogers. Obviously, Indiana's threatening to score. And then on the other side, Shonda Stanton, the head coach for Indiana, is like, no, we're playing. You cannot take us off the field right now. We have all the momentum. We've got Ashley Rogers on the ropes. And I thought that Coach Stanton was going to go lay her body down in front of the tarp to prevent the grounds crew from rolling it off the field and rolling it onto the field. And so it was kind of one of those funny moments where, you know, Karen Weekly and Shauna Sand were getting heated, heated with the uh, event management staff, with the umpires. But then at the end of the day, they kind of like hugged it out and they realized, all right, like we got to keep our cool. Uh, they're going to go into a delay. And we ended up going into a five hour delay. Uh, Kayla, this reminds me of a women's college world series I situation. I know. It was so funny because uh, my play-by-play Mike Cousins wasn't really bringing it up. And I was like, are you going to make me bring this up? Are you going to make me, are you going to make me talk about the dance uh, in the rain, Kayla? Come on. Dance in the rain. I was like, all right, I guess if you want me to talk about it, I'll talk. I, I guess I'll have to bring it up. Uh, yeah. Cause we've all been there, right? We, one team is going to greatly benefit from staying on the field. And one team is going to greatly benefit from calling time and going into a rain delay. And in this case, it worked out in Tennessee's favor. And honestly, it was the right call because the rain didn't stop. It poured continuously for like the next three hours and the field was not in good shape. So ended up being the right call. And regardless of that situation, Tennessee dominated this region. I mean, they looked so good in every single facet of the game. And what I love to see, and this really stood out to me, the competitive fire for Tennessee was there. Game one, they're playing Northern Kentucky. It's their first time in the tournament. They come out, get a 12 nothing win, easy peasy. Then they play Indiana day two. And we had the three best home run hitters in the country at our region. So it was Taylor, Roby, Taryn Kern, and Kiki Malloy. And Kiki Malloy had one more home run than the two of them going in. So Indiana and Tennessee are playing. And Ashley Rogers gives up a first inning, top of the first home run to Taryn Kern. And so Indiana goes up one nothing, And Kiki Malloy in the bottom half of that inning gets into the box. And I tell you the look in her eye and her first swing, she fouled off a pitch. She was a little bit late. I mean, I was like, this girl's going to go off next pitch. Boom. Dead center home run immediately answers. And that's what you saw all weekend. Like anytime this Tennessee team got into a position where they had to show some kind of competitive fire, they responded. They started walking Kiki Malloy. Guess what? Zeta Pooney is like, fine, you guys are going to walk around and hit four home runs this weekend. So it just was nonstop. Uh, this Tennessee team brought everything they needed to. Peyton Gottschall, who threw a no-hitter in game one. Game two, she's throwing against Indiana on Sunday. Gets in a couple of bases loaded jams. Gets her way out of them. I mean, like, buckles down with the bases loaded. Really, really impressive. So uh, this Tennessee team is... Uh, they're a team that fights. They fight for each other. And I absolutely love that. And uh, the only the only question that I have from Tennessee is that I don't think they're going to be able to rely on Carlin Pickens in the Super Regional. She was the only piece of the puzzle that we've seen consistency this season that 
early in the year was there. It's not been there late in the year. She really struggled to find the strike zone. So I think it's going to be Peyton Gottschall and Ashley Rogers in the circle against Texas this coming weekend. And then, uh, hey, the other one that came back postseason, Mackenzie Donahue, watch out. She had a great weekend too. A good point, Kayla, about Carlin Pickens. I mean, that's what made Tennessee so strong is being able to have Rogers and Gottschall and Pickens and in the month of May and re- kind of probably started even in April, Carlin Pickens just has not been the same. Uh, Aaron, oh, you were in. You, oh, sorry. Go ahead. sorry yeah. I'll give you a really, really quick stat. We, uh, so before Alabama, that series, so she lost one of her first games. I think it was her second loss of the season for Alabama. She gave up three earned runs the whole season. First 12 appearances, second 12 appearances, Bama and on, she gave up 24 earned runs. I feel for her because it's just, it's been hard to watch at times. Like, and you just see that maybe it's expectations and the pressures get to her. And I feel for her because she started out so, so, so well and getting all this attention. Um, Aaron, you're in Stillwater, uh, where Oklahoma state, like did not look good at the end of the season. They had lost, I think 11 of their last 13 games. So I think it was a bit questionable, maybe how they were going to do in regionals. What did you see? Yeah, they came into regionals with five straight losses. And that was the first thing I talked to Kenny Gajewski about was seeding. Were you guys shocked? And he said, actually, yeah. Um, when we went to Broken Bow as a team, it's an annual trip they do every year. I looked around the room and was trying to get a read of the faces once we saw that six seed come across the TV screen. And it was interesting to see the reactions and some of the shocked faces, a lot of happiness, obviously. Um, but he did feel like the body of work that they put together all season long, it was earned. And so that was a, a breath of momentum under their wings coming into a, a host weekend. I thought there were really good games. We had some hard fought late innings. Um, first UMBC, um, incredible team, well-coached Chris Kohlmeyer and his five seasons of being there has taken this team to four straight NCAAs. Courtney Coppersmith, their arm, a PhD student, a stud in the circle was fantastic. Keating was very consistent at the plate, was very impressed with the talent that they brought. Wichita State, obviously Sydney McKinney, the story of this year, the batting average leader in the nation. Um, so solid. She actually went four for four in that last game against Nebraska You know, one of the names I think is flying under the radar right now is Alex Aguilar. This is a lefty pitcher, freshman arm for Wichita State that handled, I I can count four off the top, bases loaded situations like a total vet. I think that we're going to see her name start to bubble up to the surface pretty quickly. Their offense just got cold towards the end of the year. I just saw that that fiery, spicy Wichita State offense kind of cool off. And I got to call the AAC championship, and I saw the same thing there. They got stunned by Tulsa and just couldn't come back in late innings. Nebraska, one of the last teams to enter into the tournament, had a ton of fight um, getting that late win, the hard-fought battle, late innings, against Wichita State to make it into the champ finals, was so impressed by their seniors, Maya Felder, Courtney um, Wallace coming up big. They've been riding their entire season, guys, on two arms. That is incredible. I would argue, it. show me any other team that's gone as deep as they have gone with just two arms in the circle. They have been riddled with injuries all year long. Um, so impressed by Rhonda Ravel. Just, I have so much respect for her as a head coach. Very well-run program. But for Oklahoma State, um, 
Run production was hit or miss. I think the one thing that is a blemish or what I saw in this past weekend, and I'll go back and look at my notes specifically for you, Amanda, since you're heading to Stillwater, 90% of their runs came after the fourth inning. So they start slow. They're just not very productive early in games. But you know what did stand out to me? Pitching. Lexi Kilfoyle and Kelly Maxwell were untouchable. Maxwell had 10 Ks in game one. I'll tell you what really, what I highlighted in my notes is the combination between the two. It's the contrast between those two arms. Kelly has this very spinny kind of Frisbee-like rise ball. And then when you throw Kilfoyle in there with that super heavy, devastating drop at the knees, Teams just cannot make adjustments that quick off of that that combo. Um, I do believe that they're going to have to rely on ACOC farther down the stretch. We didn't see her a lot in the circle. And I think you're going to have to really use a full three-arm staff as this competition gets um, gets tougher. The biggest thing that really is intangible that you have to know if you're speaking to these coaches was a question I asked Gajewski about his adjustments. And where they were struggling earlier this year, late in the season, he actually tried to be in a less emotional coach. So he said, I, I, was tr- I was reading all these books and leaning into my mentorship, and I was trying to be more of a steady Eddie um, head. And what I realized is that is not what my team rallies behind. They rally behind my emotion and I have to wear my emotion on my sleeve. And we saw that. We saw him get very emotional in interviews, a lot of facial expressions in the dugout. This team thrives off of that heartbeat. The rest of his coaching staff is really the steady voice. But for Kenny Gajewski, he has to wear his emotions because his team really needs that to respond. I was thrilled with what I saw. I am chomping at the bits to see Oregon and Oklahoma State go head to head. So I will be a big fan of you this weekend and Stillwater. Um, Amanda, I think they're going to be really good games. Yeah, that should be a good one. And I mean, like you said, they're going to play Oregon and that's where Jenny was in Fayetteville uh, for one of the other upsets of an, of a seated team. Jenny, um, Oregon came out of that one. They looked really good. Yeah. If you want run production, Oregon loves to do it in bunches. They don't necessarily put together a consistent one or two runs an inning. They were looking at big runs in innings. So they capitalize on, you know, an emotion of the other team that'll maybe stub their toe and then just take advantage and really sock it to the other squad. In Fayetteville, we had Arkansas as the host, also Harvard and Notre Dame. Notre Dame, one of those last teams getting into the postseason. And again, unable to advance to a super regional, never have done it in the history of their program. So Harvard came in um, as the Ivy League champion. And guys, that team only had nine home runs as a team on the year. It was fun to be able to talk to that group and just hear how excited they were to be able to advance over Princeton to make it. They were expected to finish too, but then able to beat the uh, expected winner, advance to Arkansas. And more than anything, it was fun to see Jenny Allard, their head coach. She had never done a challenge for video replay. So she's like, I have to do at least one. That was fun. And then uh, she had never done an in-game interview on a headset. So we had to make sure that we, you know, made light of those, but she did great in all of those situations. Um, They didn't expect, I don't think, to come out of this regional, but they were so excited to be there and represent um, so many great quality athletes, knowing that none of those players can take advantage of their COVID year at 
Harvard because grad students can't play sports. So if they're looking to extend their um, athletic opportunities, they're transferring. And we, we mentioned a couple of those players that are going to go to other schools to begin grad school and you finish out their eligibility. Um, but Arkansas, Oregon, we knew those would be the two headliners coming into this one. Shanice Dels, the SEC player of the year last year in the SEC, just she ran out of steam. She did so well in the beginning, but with the first loss to Oregon in their first matchup, just didn't have enough to go the distance. And that's exactly what Courtney Diefel talked about in the in-game interview, because we had a pitching change before, or we hadn't had a pitching change in that final game yet. And we asked, how was Chanice going to do? She said, she's running out of steam. We're going to throw her as long as we can. And she ran out of steam. It was a tough um, fifth inning for Arkansas. And it was capitalized by an Oregon grand slam for the walk-off. It was a huge hit. And the crazy part about it is Ariel Carlson, their right fielder, she had already hit a home run in that inning. So she had two home runs in the inning and the walk-off grand slam to finish the game. I was really impressed with the way Melissa Lombardi, the head coach for Oregon, used her pitching staff. She really did a good job of mixing up the arms of Stevie Hansen, Morgan Scott, and Reagan Breedlove to just not confuse hitters, but make challenge hitters, see different looks, see different speeds, um, see different arms. They all throw between like the mid sixties, nothing overpowering, but when they come in, they all have a very different look. And because of that, it took a little bit for teams to adjust and come back to, and they just did a good job of managing the game. Um, Defensively, they did a good job of, staying steady. It was really cool to see um, the center fielder for Oregon, Hannah Delgado, in the first inning of their first game against Notre Dame. She went back to the wall and actually robbed a home run away from Christina Gaskins, who is the best hitter on Notre Dame squad. And it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game, literally brought it back over the wall. And then that they won that game five, four, that game had a two and a half hour rain delay in the middle of it. So you didn't even put together that that play that happened so long ago actually impacted the final score. So it was really cool to see the way that um, Oregon's defense showed up how their pitching staff played together, and then the bats just kept hitting and they scored in bunches. It'll be exciting to see the way that they attack Oklahoma State, knowing that um, their bats are alive, their pitching staff not overwhelming, and their changeup definitely not consistent. They throw it, but it's not a consistent pitch for a strike. And that's an important one going down the stretch in the postseason. If you don't have that good mix of speed, I think that's really easy for hitters to adjust and stay on the zone a little bit better, but it'll be good to watch them against Oklahoma state. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Um, I was at Stanford and Stanford, you know, more so known for their pitching and defense with Nigeri Kennedy and Elena Vodder and Reagan Krause. I mean, their pitching staff is so good and they were really good. They only gave up two runs. They had, they threw two shutouts, but um, what was surprising and the takeaway I think from Stanford is their offense. They scored 20 runs in three games. This is a team that came in, like I looked it up like 112th best in the country at scoring with like four and a half runs a game. I mean, they're not known for their offense, but 
Ali Kanashiro stepped up, um, Kylie Chung, like you're not used to, you're not used to hearing a lot about their hitters, honestly, because we talk so much about their pitching and defense, but, uh, those are names to look out for and, and, and a fun, uh, super that they will play. They'll take on Duke. So that's kind of like the smarty pants super regional, isn't it? Like Duke versus Stanford and, and Duke gets to host their first ever super regional. They got that eight seed and this is where I'm sure. Stanford was a little bit upset, right? Like they got the nine seed and they're happy about that. Hosted their first regional since 2011. So it had been a while, but when you advance, then you're more likely to go on the road. Like they'll have to face Duke, which I think should be um, an interesting matchup between those two. So Stanford looked really good. Nyjah Kennedy, you guys, is the real deal. She's so legit. Um, didn't have to pitch that much. Vodder actually pitched more than she did this weekend, which I thought was interesting. And the way that they complement each other, Vodder all down, Kennedy all up. They're going to be really tough. I cannot wait to watch them take on Duke's offense this weekend. Um, I think that that, I I don't know. I don't know who's going to come out of that one because Cassidy Kurtz for Duke is so good. And then they kind of are similar to Stanford's pitching staff, like Jayla Wright for Duke throws down. Kurt throws more up. And so it's kind of like Vodder and Kennedy for Stanford. So I'm interested to see um, who will come out of that one. Like, I, I don't know. I think that one will be really close. So uh, moving on to supers um, that that's just one of the supers, the other ones that we have going on. So super regionals will start Thursday night. We'll kick it off seven Eastern on ESPN two with Georgia and Florida state followed by Oregon at Oklahoma state. So those two games will get going on Thursday. And then on Friday, Stanford and Duke, uh, will start at 12 Eastern Clemson at Oklahoma will be at two Eastern, all of us on ESPN two followed by Texas, Tennessee. And then after that, um, will be, be game two for the ones I just mentioned. Um, but then later Friday night, the other three supers will get going Northwestern at Alabama at eight Eastern on ESPN two Louisiana versus Washington. That game will actually be on ESPN at 10 Eastern and then San Diego state versus Utah will be on ESPN two at 10 Eastern. So, um, Friday, completely full of softball. Uh, Maddie, I know that you're going to be going to Norman and you have Clemson and Oklahoma. Uh, what do you think uh, Clemson's chances are there going into Norman? I really think, you know, it depends on honestly how Valerie Cagle pitches in the circle. I think when you're going up against a team like Oklahoma, it has to start in the circle. You've got to do whatever you can to just kind of keep the run production as minimal as possible, which of course is such a daunting task. But I think uh, Valerie's been throwing really well. We know last year she dealt with a lot of injuries this year pain-free. She's able to throw not just the drop. And I know, Amanda, you can speak from a pitching perspective, but her ability to get underneath of a rise ball, which she wasn't able to do last year because of the pain, she can do it this year. And it's an off-speed too. It's absolutely filthy. I would not want to hit it. Um, It looked really good this weekend too. She's just a gamer. She's just going to go out there though, and she's going to pump a lot of ground ball out. So it's going to be very much dependent upon that defense behind her to play really clean. And on the flip side, Oklahoma did what Oklahoma does, and they run ruled uh, three times this past weekend, the home run balls leaving out of the yard. Uh, One of the hitters that stands out that I feel like we don't talk about a ton is Alyssa Brito. And I think she's going to be big for them this weekend because her swing almost just feels tailor-made for a drop ball. And when you're going up against Cagle, who throws a 72-mile-an-hour drop ball, you kind of need those swings in the order that just do such a good job. I think the one that she hit off of Lexi Kilfoyle earlier this season – 
has not landed yet. Um, but it was just such an impressive piece of hitting for her to be able to get her barrel underneath those ones. So it's going to be a good showdown uh, against, you know, between Valerie Cagle, who's up there for top three player of the year finalists versus a, a team that we could argue one of the best softball teams to ever play the game because they've got that incredible win streak too that dates back to our very own Jenny Dalton Hills, uh, Arizona playing days. Uh, so that all-time win streak is on the line this weekend. If they were to win the first two games, then they would break the all-time record. So it's going to be a good one in Norman this weekend. Yeah, and Kegel's the only one of the three uh, finalists for National Player of the Year who's still alive. Kayla, you'll be back home, home and air quotes, and Tuscaloosa with Northwestern and Alabama. Uh, what's going to be happening there, do you think? You well, know, the big, biggest storyline probably of the entire Super Regional round is whether or not we're going to see Montana Fouts because – uh, obviously, Bama did everything that they could to survive in advance in their regional round. Shout out to Jayla Torrance for pitching 18 and I think two thirds scoreless innings for the tide. That was huge. Like everything that they needed, uh, Torrance gave them in that game on Sunday. And I know for a fact that Montana was warming up in the bullpen and she was ready to go in. I can't say what her level of health was when she would have been able to go in, but she was warming up and kind of a cool proud moment for Montana was that she said, Hey, I can't go in right now. Jayla's pitching too well. And I think to be able to take the reins back and say, uh, I got to let my teammate get us there is a really big thing to do, especially for Montana that has pulled so much of the weight for this team, the entire season. So kudos to Montana for uh, letting her teammate handle business and Jayla did handle business. And then it helps when you get that big time home run from one of those cool shipments. Holy ship. Holy ship. Yes. Holy ship. She came through the throw out and the home run ship. Uh, she did her job. She wanted, you could see in her eyes that she wanted to continue to play and play for Montana, but also for her final season as well. Um, um, but when you think about this Northwestern team coming to town, Danielle Williams has been Montana Fouts for this Northwestern team. She's carried the team on her back for the last five years. She's a grad senior. She's that crafty lefty that has led the way. So I think the story within the story is Fouts and Danielle Williams, their historic careers. They're going to go toe to toe to try and get to the women's college world series for their senior year. And this Northwestern team is going to be so stinking tough because they're so veteran. They have so many seniors on their squad, Shellmeyer, Rudd, Cochran, like they're, they're just loaded with elite senior talent, grad senior talent that went to the women's college world series last year. And they were down twice in the regional round and they came back in one. So they're just a team that you just can't put away. They came back in the big 12 or excuse me, the big 10 championship as well. They were down in that game. You just, they're going to continue to fight all seven innings. And that's going to make this regional really, really good. Um, I'm excited to go back to the Rhodes house because as you guys know, it's the toughest place to play. And that's like the ultimate equalizer for a Northwestern team that could really do well in that setting. They're going to have to face a really tough environment that's going to be loud and rowdy. So I'm really excited to be heading back to Tuscaloosa. Okay. You sold me. I want to watch that one. Actually, I want to watch all of them. Uh, of course, like have 18 screens going on at one time. Aaron, you win for most beautiful place that you get to go to in Salt Lake City of all the super regional locations, I think, with San Diego State versus Utah. Um, what do you think is going to happen? What are you looking for? I keep for? hearing that. I keep hearing like I need to bring hiking shoes and a yoga mat. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I think the biggest thing is that Utah didn't expect to host. So they had to turn around and figure out how to dress up their stadium and get ready for NCAAs coming to town. Um, 
Both of these teams, what really stands out to me is pitching. These are true staff efforts on the Utah side, coached by Paige Parker, one of the lefty greats coming from Oklahoma. Uh, DJ Gasso, a hitting brilliant brain. Again, the lineage from OU. This is a team just in the personal connections with those two having played with Paige Parker. I've been keeping in touch with with Paige all season long and DJ saying the same thing. Like they had an inkling of the talent of this group very early on in the year. So it's fun to see that kind of come to fruition and them really being able to capitalize on a opportunity at home. And then on the other side, again, back to pitching, it's a true staff. They've got five arms with San Diego state that have split innings pretty evenly. Allie light, She's got the most with 124 innings, but I have a feeling this is going to be a pitcher's duel more than anything. Just based on what I'm seeing with numbers and storylines, I think that we're going to have a heated battle in the circle. And Newman, who coaches this team, is story, right? A storied historian here. I think that, again, the coaching staffs, the history with these both teams, the storylines of how they both got here. I am really eager to sink my teeth into this super in Salt Lake City and potentially go hiking along the way. Yeah, definitely. It's so fun to think that either San Diego State or Utah will be in Oklahoma City. Like, that's wild. Okay, Jenny Dalton Hill, uh, you're going to be at Duke in the Smarty Pants Super Regional. Uh, What are you expecting? Well, I'm going to probably need to take glasses so I look smart because I definitely did not go to college to uh, get a huge degree. I went to play softball. So in this one, I'm excited to watch, um, you said it already, kind of that pitcher's duel coming up, Amanda, knowing that the arms of Nigeri Kennedy and Alana Vodder are definitely going to be the keynote to this one, knowing that they are so dynamic back and forth between one, one another. Um, but you're right. The bats did come alive for Stanford in their regional 21 hits and 20 runs scored. Not a lot of long ball power. You're looking at doubles and singles kind of just taking the paper, paper cut approach, meaning like just death by a thousand paper cuts, continue, put the ball in play, let yourself um, put pressure on the defense. They only have 24 team home runs. They've matched last year's home run number. 44 stolen bases, so pretty low stolen bases on the season, and just hitting 285 as a team. So this is a group effort. It's going to be led by the pitching staff with a 1.56 ERA, very low staff ERA, going against a Duke squad who has had a lot of changes in their lineup from a season ago where they lost a ton of home run power, lost some speed. Um, they're Average is pretty similar to last year, but it's the on a gold show. She's got 19 home runs on the year. She hits really well. She did have a home run in the regional, but this squad had 25 hits and only 11 runs in their regional. So it's going to come down to making sure that they get the timely hit against a really strong Stanford pitching staff. Marissa Young has brought in two seasoned vets in terms of playing but new coaches on her staff, Sydney Romero in her first season as an assistant coach and Olivia Watkins in her first season at Duke. So in terms of experience on the coaching staff, you got Sydney Romero who probably has a summer home in Oklahoma city because of how many times she's been there with Oklahoma. But this is an entire squad who has not been to the world series. It's their first time ever hosting a super regional. So they're bringing in Stanford and it's going to be a pitcher's duel. 
eight seed versus nine seed, it's going to probably go three games because these two are battling it out to try to get to the Oklahoma city for the very first time. Jenny's predicting that her super regional is going to go three games. She's not going to be able to get home until a little bit later than she would with two games, but that would be epic. Game threes are just always so good. All right. And I'm going to be in Stillwater with Oregon and Oklahoma state. And what comes to my mind is just the experience of Oklahoma state. This is a team that has been in the world series several times. They're used to hosting super regionals. They're used to playing in these big moments for years now versus an Oregon team that has never been there. I am so interested to see, because I thought Jenny, whenever Oregon was in Fayetteville, that was such a big motivation for them that they had gone to Arkansas the year before they felt comfortable. They had that extra motivation. Like they had that piece that made them feel that safety and and comfort. Like, all right, we know what we're getting ourselves into. So it's a complete opposite. I think now they want it and they're going to go to Stillwater and facing a team that, that knows how to win the big games with Kelly Maxwell and Lexi Kilfoyle and, and ACOC, like the pitching staff that they have is so good. But I will say when I watched Oregon play and I went back and watched your games, Jenny, I thought that Oregon looked so fired up. They looked the most confident that I had seen them since Missy Lombardi has been their head coach. And I think when you have that kind of confidence and you're going on the road, you're the underdog, you get to play loose against an Oklahoma state team that I still think is a little bit shaky. Like I think the way that they ended the season, they're still not feeling 100% confident. Um, and maybe they, they have the leadership that can just figure it out. And they, those three games that they won in regionals will just propel them through the supers to the world series. But I think that Oregon has a chance to go in there with their confidence and go in and and beat Oklahoma state. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they let the moment get too big. So that's what I'll be watching. And Ariel Carlson, I think two cool stories, Ariel Carlson from Eugene gets to play at Oregon, Taylor Tuck from Stillwater gets to play at Oklahoma state. When you have those type of stories of just like the home count, the hometown kid that gets to play at the big school, I just always think it's, it's really good. And they're both a huge part of both of their teams. So something just to look out for there. Um, I think supers will be awesome. Again, it gets started at seven Eastern on ESPN two on Thursday, Florida state and Georgia will kick us off. Um, let's have a great weekend. You guys enjoy softball. If you're a fan listening to this, turn on your TV, enjoy it Thursday night, all day, Friday, all day, Saturday. And we'll see how many games that we get on Sunday. Um, that's always like, I always want to be home on Sunday because mine will start on Thursday. And I like wish that there's like multiple game threes. So I can just be in my home and watch softball and just kind of prepare for the world series. So Looking forward to it, guys. Great job and have fun this weekend. See you next time. Bye.